Welcome to the summit of Mentor Mountain, everybody. My name is Cole Tanner, and today we have Greg and Angie Polson on the show. Greg and Angie, if you were to meet them today, you would see a couple who's just crushing it in business, but what you wouldn't see is the dark journey they traveled through life to get to where they are today. And this episode is all about exploring that dark journey. But before we get on with the show, if you enjoy hearing stories or wisdom from people who have mastered their craft, go ahead and follow this show, subscribe, follow, like this video, and I will do my best to make it worth your while. Now, on with the show. The story starts out with Greg, his ex-wife, and his daughter, Jordan. Jordan was three, and, you know, Christmas time, right in between Christmas and New Year's, we realized, you know, she had like a little bump on her stomach. Um, and so we took her to the doc- we took her to the doctor and they're like, oh, she just got gas. And so we, and it's like bloating her stomach or whatever. And so we gave her some of that medication or whatever she was giving us. And then it just didn't go away. And so we went back and found out and they did an ultrasound and found out that she had uh, a tumor on her kidney it was about the size of a grapefruit that was making it kind of stick up, right? She got diagnosed at first with, it was called a Wilms tumor, which was, you know, apparently it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure it can be in some circumstances, but uh, they're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's like 90% chance we'll just take it out and we'll be good to go, right? And so that's what we was thinking at first. And then um, we she went, they had to do the surgery to remove the, removed the tumor and, and her kidney. And, and after they did a biopsy, they, we learned that it was actually a clear cell sarcoma of the kidney. And so, which was a lot worse. We basically lived at primary children's for about eight months for your little baby girls that could go through that. It was, you know, it was, it was life altering, right? It was devastating really because it go, it went from something that was, you know, pretty well treatable to something that they didn't even have any idea what the hell to do with it. But sweet little Jordan did not give up that easy. She didn't, she didn't know that she was like deathly ill, right? She just knew she was like, she was sick. Um, but so it, it didn't affect her. Well, obviously she was super sick, right? And there was days where she would just lay there and she would, you know, have canker sores in her mouth and she's losing her hair and stuff like that. You know, I think, uh, it was, I think it was definitely super, um, it was confu- probably more confusing than anything to her, especially like when she lost her hair. Cause she was, you know, she's a little baby girl. So she was like princesses and all this stuff, like pretty hair. And, and then, you know, we had to cut her hair off cause it was just falling out in like clumps, you know? So we, you know, we cut it off and, and shaved it. And she was, I think she was sad. Uh, she was definitely sad about that, you know? Um, and so that was, I think a lot of it was confusing, you know, why, why the, you know, but that, but the three-year-old's comprehension of like what really going on is not really like what would be for like near you to, to go through it. But her, her demeanor, she was always happy. She was, she was happy. Uh, even when she was sick, we've got a ton of pictures of her, you know, when she just smiling, you know, and she always had, she had like a pick line or a central line, you know. Well, a little tube that went in here up here that administered stuff and it was always had fluids so she always had a little bag with like a little pump and, and fluids bags and she's carried it around and like a little purse 
you know, and it's really, it's really, uh, was pretty inspiring to, to see how the kids handle it, you know, um, cause there's a lots of times, even the doctors would say this, that, you know, the, 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 uh, adults when they get cancer, a lot of times, you know, they go fast because they're like, Oh God, I got cancer. And they just kind of give up. Right. The kids don't really know that. So they're fighting, they're fighting and, and they're, they're super sick and, and, and they don't really know, you know, I got pictures of her like in the hospital on the bed, play with my phone and the laptop, put lipstick on and stuff like that. And she just got like major rounds of chemotherapy and radiation. And, you know, she didn't really care. After eight months of living in and out of the hospital, Jordan's battle would end. And, you know, and eventually, you know, she ended up passing away from, from complications of chemo and too many and the, the pain medication. Uh, it was hell, man. Uh, it was so, it was so, it changed my view on a lot of things, right? Because, you know, we're LDS, right? Um, now, when Greg says LDS, he's referring to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more commonly known as the Mormon Church. And, you know, when Jordan passed away, I was just pissed. It's not like I was an active LDS or anything like that, really, at the time, or I was I was pissed. I was mad at everything. How could this happen to this little girl? And um, you know, I really just kind of didn't really care about much, right? I, I I wanted my son and my you know my wife at the time, right? Um, after she died, after she passed away, uh, my my ex wife, she kind of she kind of went a little crazy too, right? It was affecting for, we ended up getting a divorce soon after. Uh, and then it was me and my son and, you know, I tried to hang on to it for, for a while, uh, you know, but I just kind of lost everything. Uh, I didn't really, didn't really care about anything too much. I got into drugs real bad. I got, I, uh, you know, Thank God for my parents because my parents helped, you know, take my son and, you know, helped raise him, you know, but I got into, I got into drugs real bad. You know, I went to prison twice um, and I just really didn't, I just didn't, I, I didn't really take anything in life very serious and it was kind of, yeah, it just affected me that way and I guess that's kind of probably how I coped with with it was drugs and just not this kind of mask and everything was, you know, go, go, go type of lifestyle, you know, and my parents took my son the first time I went to prison. They're amazing people. And I would, uh, and it's not really just my parents too. My, my parents, my grandparents, uh, my brothers and, and my, my sister, uh, her huge supports for me. If it wouldn't have been for those guys, I definitely wouldn't be here talking to you right now, 100%. So I hear different opinions on prison sentences, on whether they're too light or too harsh, and I wanted to know Greg's opinion, and this was his answer. The second prison sentence was three years, and and that three years that I spent in there absolutely 100% saved my life because... The thing with drug addiction and stuff like that is unless you remove yourself 
completely, new friends, new everything, right? It's going to be really hard for you to, to quit drugs, you know, while you're on the streets and you're not in prison or something, you know, it's, it's super tough. And so prison absolutely saved my life. Um, I think honestly, right now that they're not sending, if I would have got charged with the things that I got charged with now, I don't think I would go to prison. Because uh, I think that they've gotten lighter on drug offenses, um, and and it doesn't work for everybody, right? It's it's a mindset too, right? You gotta you gotta want to quit drugs to quit drugs. Just if you go do five years in prison and the whole time you're there, all you're thinking about is what you're gonna do when you get out, and you you still want to do drugs, and you're and you're doing drugs in prison because that's that's there. You know what I mean? If you're doing that, you know, then you're going to get out and you're going to do prison, whether it's a two-year sentence or it's a 10-year sentence, you know, it's up to you. I mean, for me personally, it was, uh, you know, three years is a long time. I missed out on a lot of shit. nieces and nephews being born, you know, my son having birthdays and, you know, he was a whole different person when I got out the second time in three years. The kids change a lot in three years, you know, and, you know, so when I got out the second time, I was like, I am not, I am I am not going to go back. I mean, the first time I got out of prison, within a week, I was already immersed back into the lifestyle of drugs and and just all all that stuff. You know what I mean? So, like, the first time was was two years, and it just didn't do. And I I hadn't really decided at that point, you know. So, what made Greg want to turn his life around? I think the second time I went to prison. Um, when you get in there, you know, all your friends disappear, right? They write you letters. They calling you. Uh, I mean, you got a girlfriend. She wants to be your wife or whatever while you're out there. And then you leave and, and you find out all these friends that you, you know, you're hanging out with every day. You're doing things with, you know, they're taking your stuff and they're, your girlfriend will leave you, right? And so, like, it's all kind of fake, right? The people that are really there for you are the ones that stick around with you even though you're gone for three years, you know? And they're the ones that pick you up when you leave. And for me, it was, I think it was realizing that, you know, because when I was doing drugs and stuff like that, like, I'm separating myself from my family uh, and my kids, my kid, you know what I mean? Um... And then when you get in there, you realize who's really got, who's really standing by your side, you know what I mean? And that was a huge thing for me. Uh, you know, my family never gave up on me, but, you know, and they are the, they're the ones that really helped me realize that this is what I need to do, you know? And, you know, my one brother, Randy, he's just younger than me, about 18 months younger than me or whatever. Uh, you know, he was pissed at me. He wouldn't really talk to me while I was in prison, you know, because I, you know, not like I ever stole from them or anything like that, but I just wasn't, you know, a brother to them. I was always doing my own thing. And, and so when I got out, you know, I just, I, I, and that kind of hurt, hurt my feelings that he didn't want to really be part of my life really much anymore. So when I got out, I just, I went and hung around him, even though if he didn't want me to or not, you know what I mean? So I kind of interjected myself back in, in his life, but because they were always happy and 
Yeah, so I think I think that's what helped me realize that my family has been huge for me. Now that we know a little bit about Greg, we're going to move on to Angie's backstory. I grew up in a home where, um, you know, first I definitely want to say my parents were both really good people. Um, my dad served in Vietnam. He fought um, frontline. He was a gunner in a helicopter, and he had a lot of mental illness. And um, back then, they did not have um, have help for that. And unfortunately, he did a lot of bleeding over onto to our family. So in my younger years, my, you know, I, I was really, really angry at my dad as a teenager because I couldn't understand why he was so scary and why he was the way he was. And um, we ended up, you know, for a while. And I, you know, I always wished he would die because there's so much contention at our home. And, you know, then lo and behold, we come on vacation to Utah and for my dad to give a blessing, to bless one of my nieces. And he had a massive heart attack and died. And it was the most horrible. Like, it still chums me up because he was such a good, he really was a good person. And I've learned so much about him after and I truly feel that he is with our family and with me. He knows, you know, the damage and hurt that he's caused and he's trying to fix it on the other, other side. And I truly do feel, feel that. But then I had, you know, the shame of wanting someone to die and then they did. <laughs> and our whole life as a family changed. We were living in Colorado at the time and, um, you know, financially my mom was going to, have to go back to work and us I come from a family of 10 um, but it was us last three kids uh, my twin sister and my brother who's only 11 months older than us but we got separated so I went to live with my brother in Oregon and my sister went to California and my brother stayed with my mom you know to kind of help her but it was a super tragic you know a super tragic thing and I I think I lived with all of that hurt and anger and um, shame and guilt for, I mean, until I was, I think, 37 years old. Angie would also get married. Got married pretty young and started having kids. And, you know, the traditional, you know, at least for my era, that's how it was, you know, when in the LDS, you have a return missionary and you get married and you just, you move on and you think you know what love is and... You know, and I, I didn't, um, and, um, got into a marriage where it was, it was uh, pretty toxic, you know, on, on both sides. Uh, it could bring two hurt people together. It creates a firestorm. And, um, yeah, I was trying to do the right thing and trying to, um, coming from the family I came from. It's pretty normal. I just didn't want anyone to hit me. <laughs> so, you know, I felt like my, my marriage was pretty, pretty normal for, for quite a while. Um, until the latter years where I thought, you know, this, this is, it's not a good thing, you know, for either of us, you know, I wanted certain things for my kids and I wanted certain things for myself too, that I felt were important. Um, and a lot of my needs were being met. It wasn't, they weren't important. Um, and they had never been important in my whole life. I didn't have a voice as a child. You know, it was just 
you do what you're told and be quiet, you know, or else. And that's not who I am. But I felt like after years and years and years, like I was a lost and really a hollow shell. I felt like from a spiritual perspective, like I felt like I had done really everything I was supposed to. And like, why is my life like this? So how did these lost souls meet each other? Uh, so I had been uh, separated for the second time. It was really only for like three weeks. I had separated for a year and then uh, went back and then for about nine months uh, or 10 months and then left again um, with my kids. And so there had only been honestly probably like three weeks since I had separated the second time. And some uh, friends of mine said, hey, I just got done taking my boys to both their football games and I was tired and, and they had invited me to go to this Halloween party girls night type deal out in Mount Pleasant with some of their friends and I was like I'm just gonna stay home I'm just gonna stay home and and they said nope get in the shower we're coming to pick you up and so I was like oh okay so I, I uh you know headed on the way down with wet hair and was you know gonna get ready when I got down there and um I kind of was in a little wild streak myself um, just again, coming out of, I was angry. Um, I felt like I had really tried to do everything right in my life and, um, it was all wrong. Everything <laughs> had gone wrong. And so, you know, we stopped at the liquor store on the way down and started drinking like I did anyways, um, headed down to Middle Pleasant and, you know, got, got ready in little deer costumes with a couple other friends. And we ended up at the Mount Pleasant Triangle Bar and definitely a place, you know, when you've been married, that's like not a place that, and I've been married for 20 years, a temple marriage and, you know, not a place that I really wanted to be. Um, so I kind of stood outside a good chunk of the time. Um, and it was uncomfortable having people hit on me and whatnot. And, and Greg was ended up being outside and so as well, his brothers, his brother and sister-in-law was like, come with, come with us. And it ended up being the day it was, the date itself was kind of crazy because we met on Jordan's birthday. And so, um, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Jordan was born the day before Halloween. So, October. um, so we, uh, we just hit it off, you know, friend wise and we just talk and I figured no other guys will hit on me if I'm hanging out with one anyways. And so we, you know, just talked and, um, yeah. And it was, you know, about three quarters of the evening went by and he ended up telling me, yeah, this got at prison six months ago. And I was like, we can be friends because <laughs> that's a little much for me. Uh, but, uh, later as the night, you know, went on, he was kind of explaining why and, you know, a little bit about his life and stuff. Um, so I was like, you know, I felt I really felt comfortable around him. I was shocked at my luck, <laughs> you know. And it's funny because, you know, mom always, you're never gonna meet a good girl at a bar. You're never gonna meet a good girl at a bar, Greg. And so, I fed Angie at the bar, you know, which is crazy because you're not gonna meet no good girls at a bar, right? <laughs> this is true, you know. And just so it's kind of a funny thing, but, but. I, uh, after we'd met, you know, so I, 
when I got out of prison the second time, I was living with my grandma and grandpa because my dad had guns and stuff at the house. And so they wouldn't let me go there. Right. So I was living with grandma and grandpa and I was telling my grandma a couple of days later, I was, we were talking and I was like, I don't know what. I don't know what that, I think, this, I don't know what the hell she sees in me because she's like way above anything that, that I should be getting, you know, with what I've done with my life and where I'm at, you know, because like I was 32, living with grandma, grandpa, driving a piece of crap truck, didn't have nothing, you know what I mean? Uh, didn't have nothing. Ended up calling and asking if I wanted to go on a booze cruise is what they called it. <laughs> So we ended up you know, driving. It's a sappy thing, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, she wants me to call it a booze cruise. And they were like, just go, just go. So, uh, yeah, like, we ended up, you know, chatting and for most of the evening. And, um, yeah, the next morning just was, I left with my friends and went home. And I honestly didn't think I would really ever hear from him again. But he... Um, he messaged me, I think like two days later and I just got done. Like I was super irritated at my daughter. I had just dropped her off at school and she was kind of not, not being nice. So I was, he texted me and I was sending a text to her saying, listen, you don't talk to me that way. Blah, 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 blah. And I actually sent it to him and not her. <laughs> so I thought, oh man, I'm never going to hear from him again. Well, I, it was like a... It's like a page long, and I could tell she was chewing somebody out. And I just, I only talked to her for a few times, and so I, I didn't think that she was chewing me out. I thought it was hilarious, to be honest with you. We started seeing each other. My divorce became final. Like this was October thirtieth when we met. My divorce came final in February, twenty third on his birthday, which was kind of funny. Happy birthday! <laughs> <laughs> I now could be yours. <laughs> but um, no. Uh, we, we, I was actually quite fast. Um, like I, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like it, it was, was very natural. It was like, I felt like I was at home. Like I felt home, but he ended up because he was in Mount Pleasant. Um, he started working out this way in, um, Eagle Mountain and I had a place in Eagle Mountain with my kids. And so he, um, he just moved in really. Now that is all great for Angie and Greg, but how did everyone else feel about it? Like my kids were kind of like, they were it was very fast and it, you know, we had a lot of work to do with, um, with my kids who really didn't understand what was happening either. <laughs> so, uh, he ended up proposing to me that June, um, of 2017 and then, um, we worked really hard, just really not necessarily not financially necessarily, right? But we worked really hard to build relationships. It took us a couple of years, really, to except for him to build a good bond relationship with my kids. We ended up getting married June of 2018, and by then the kids were were pretty good, um, pretty good with them, um, and our family has blended and meshed. Like Caden is. He's on my own, like, and my, our kids, he's their brother. Greg and Angie have been able to help each other grow spiritually, emotionally, and even financially, as we'll get into. When we, after we got married, we were working together out here. And, you know, we're just, we're just kind of scraping by. We're not really making much money at all. 
really just enough to really kind of pay the bills and and that's about it you know i've always been in the construction trade right i always framed houses and stuff like that uh, worked for general contractors so we always wanted to, i always wanted to own my own building company right that was just been kind of my dream and but after you know after i got into trouble so much trouble i just cut i always thought that it was not gonna happen because you know i i have like 13 felonies or something like that like a lot right um so you know while we were working we were working together uh for a for a builder developer um we we started cedar valley builders together uh we started the company together on the side then we was just kind of building one house or two houses every once in a while you know on the on the side you know uh, while angie was helping me work through you know getting maybe 100 visit a general contractor's license because there's a lot, ton of paperwork to do and i would have never done a, been able to do it by myself right you know and it started slow uh, you know started a, you know a couple houses a year and um and it's it has definitely evolved into something a lot better i think within a lot last 12 months we've done like 20 houses or something like that right yeah, something, something like that. We've uh, started a successful business. We make way more money than I ever thought I was going to make uh, together. Uh, We're able to help a lot of people with what you know. I think, you know, I think um, for us it was, I think it was God. Yeah, you know, opening different doors for us, like in and and throughout our lives, how we how and why we do certain things and why people are brought into our lives. Like working at the city, I had a friend that was, he and his dad have one of the biggest development companies in the city of Utah. And I became good friends with them. And at this point in time in our, our business, when literally we just started and I couldn't afford even a piece of gum, like I would have had to take a chew a piece of gum off the road and scraped it and put it in my mouth. Like we had no money. This is only three years ago. Yes. <laughs> and, um, Ended up reaching out. He popped in my mind. Ended up reaching out to him, and he had these lots out here. And um, it just how everything unfolded was crazy. We had two thousand dollars in our bank account. That's it. And we're sitting at a meeting with him, and he was like, "Yeah, I got these lots out here up in Pole Canyon. I got twenty lots." And you know, Greg was like, "Well, how much money would you need us to put down?" And he was like, "A hundred thousand dollars, two hundred. Oh, $200,000. And we were like, I uh, mean, no. yeah, no way. And Greg was like, oh, we don't have that kind of money. Like we could probably put 50. And I remember kicking him underneath the table. And when we left, I'm like, where are you going to come up with $50,000? Like we have $2,000 in our account. It's like, I don't know. It just felt right to say it. Like, I don't know how we're going to come up with it. And um, we had some good friends of ours from RCM Homes that Greg has, we were going to try and do a joint venture together. And this was like, months earlier and um they ended up calling him in and into the office like several months after but the day after we had this meeting with a friend of ours called him up out of the blue and said hey come on in you know we want to visit with you today and he came home with a forty-eight thousand dollar check which was exactly what we needed to be able to purchase this subdivision let's put the deposit down right and so and after that it it ended up falling together and you know, he's, he's looking at helping us, trying to help us to get more lots 
you know, now. Um, so I think it's, I think when you do the right things and with the right intentions and you really try and be just a good person and you can't sit back and do nothing, like he's a hustler. You know, I have connections and contacts and he's a hustler and he's like, no, we need to contact so-and-so. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't really want to bother them today. You know, no, we got to call them. And so like, it's just, we make a good team in, you know, different aspects. If you're going to try to go be a builder and build in this market, that's kind of crazy. I would say you better have some good mentors that you can bounce stuff off of. RCM Homes was a company of four guys that are friends, you know, uh, and they have definitely been my mentors. Uh, you know, I could call them right now and be like, Hey man, what do you think about this? Or do you think, you know, think this? And they would shoot me straight and be like, no, that's stupid. Or yeah, let's, you do it. You, you'll make money, you know? Despite Greg and Angie being extremely successful in business, their true success actually comes from a 501c3 foundation that Angie started, naming it after Greg's daughter, Jordan, who passed away. The Gifts of Joy from Jordan Foundation raises and gives money to children with terminal illnesses. It's been amazing. It's a lot of work. Um, mostly Angie does it. <laughs> I get to see all the good things that come from it. Uh, you know, she is definitely the backbone of, of it. But, you know, we raise, we do events and we raise money and we basically, we fight people that have terminal illnesses. You know, not all of it's cancer, but uh, we try to help the kids that are in Eagle Mountain that need their, their wish paid for, for Make-A-Wish. And so we raise money and pay for them and, I think we've done probably, I would say probably close to 20, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yep. Um, so that's, I mean, it's probably been our biggest accomplishment, really. I think so too. We're getting to know the families, the first family that we did it for. The really crazy thing is, is even before I met Greg, when I was doing events at the city, um, there was a little girl out in Eagle Mountain that uh, got cancer and um, Sadie Hewish and I started doing stuff for kids with cancer well before I even met Greg. So it was just really weird that we get together on Jordan's birthday and he had a daughter that passed of cancer and we I learned how to do all these city events, you know, working with the city and we could continue it and and create something beautiful with it to not only help him and his family heal, but help others in, in the community where we are. So it's not an easy thing to do. Well, and I think really the hardest part for us was the first two years. Well, really the first year we did it, we did it for an individual boy out here that, um, that we knew Wyatt page, Doug and Emory pages only child. And, you know, I knew them. Ironically, she was she donated to me for the Miss Eagle Mountain pageant and was the only one that donated. And I called from Salt Lake to Payson. So a karma turnaround, you know, we start a foundation and donate to them. But the kids, it was really hard for me to really get to, to know the families and the kids. And then they passed away. That was probably the hardest. And I think we decided after that that we were going to 
partner with Make-A-Wish and it would kind of be a little bit more of a a distance because that was emotionally, that was tough. Yeah, it's, so that is a t- that is that's what that is a tough thing about you know the particular foundation that we have. Um, definitely made us think that maybe we wouldn't do it again on a couple occasions, you know. But but it's also super super rewarding, you know, when you see the videos of the kids, you know, uh, going on their trip, making memories with their family, and you know we was able to help provide that. So. And the flip side, it's great too. Like Greg experienced that, right? And now he's got other, I haven't. So I can't, I'm not a support to him in that way, right? Um, but these other, you know, Doug and Emily Page, Doug's our architect. He does a lot of stuff for Cedar Valley Builders and they're good friends. And they've, I think, been able to help him heal um, in a different way that I can't, right? And so we have lifelong friendships with, different families that we've we've done stuff with and for and that that part is the most rewarding i think to me if there's anything greg and angie want you to know it's this i think truly when you're a good person and you're trying to do the right things and you involve god in every aspect of your life then good things come of it and he'll open doors that you never thought could open before and that is, we are sheer, true examples of. Yeah. I truly feel that way. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to support Gifts of Joy from Jordan and help kids with terminal illnesses, there is a link below to that Facebook page and you can get more information there. Thank you so much for listening. Please drop a like, subscribe. This is a brand spanking new channel, so every little thing helps. Until the next time, my name is Cole. We'll see you.